Okay, let's see here. Someone remind me that I put my keys here in the pulpit just in case I can't find them later. (laughs) Thank you. Well, um, as you can see, Pastor Zeke's not here again this week. Um, Being with his uh, mom, um, I asked him this morning if there's anything he'd want to share with you guys. And so he sent a text. He says that his mom is stable. She's gaining a little strength back, but she's sleeping most of the day. Uh, He wanted to say thank you to everyone for your prayers and for all your love. He's certainly humbled by just all the love he's been receiving. Uh, We as a family were blessed by you guys. And so um, thank you guys for just loving us and uh, walking through this time with us. Um, We really appreciate it. So we want to pray for him. Also, I just wanted to give a quick recap on the burrito sale last week. Um, I think it was over, I heard just over $700 towards missions. Was that right, Ann? Am I right on that number? Yeah. So isn't that rad? That is just such a cool thing to know that, um, that this little church in Phelan, man, is just so invested in missions. And that's not even counting what we as a church do. So um, it's just always uh, exciting when we see um, God's resources going out and being a blessing to people. So um, for, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, this morning. We're going to continue on where we left off last week. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, what a privilege it is to be called by your name. What a privilege it is, uh, Lord, to know that you know us. And uh, God, how you would even ask us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, of all the things you could be busy with, you care enough to hear our cares. And so, uh, Lord, we offer up to you our pastor right now. We pray for, um, for my dad, Lord, Pastor Zeke, that you would just be with him right now as he ministers to his mom and to his family. And we pray for my grandma, Lord, that you would just have your way with her and, and just do what seems right to you, Lord, and do it all in your timing. God, not our will, but yours is what we would will to be done. And God, we also thank you that you've used us as a church to uh, invest in missions. And we thank you, God, that on, on that day when we stand before you, Lord, even, even what the burritos we bought, Lord, you, you've made an account of that in your book. And so, Lord, would you take that $700, would you make much of it for your name and Um, God, as we study your word this morning, we ask that you'd fill us with your spirit. Give us insight and understanding. Help us to uh, get the sense of what you're saying uh, and not just hear it, Lord, but would you give us the ability and even the will to change if there's anything in our lives that don't match up. So go before us. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Speak your words through my mouth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've, uh, we're going to try to cover the whole chapter, and really as we get through the beginning, I think that'll be possible. But just a little recap, last week we talked a lot about Christian service, about what it means to be serving the Lord, and how that's not just something that happens in the local church. It could happen outside of the church as well, so long as we're doing things for God's honor and God's glory. And so um, we could, and we talked about all the ways that can happen, so we won't get too far into that. 
Uh, if you really want to learn all about it, I guess you could pick up a CD of it or go to the website and listen to what we covered last week. But we talked about the way that we build on this solid foundation of Jesus Christ and that God is just as concerned with what is in our heart while we, were, we are serving as He is the service itself, right? If we're serving grudgingly, if we're serving to do it to be seen by men or doing it for any other reason, we, we find real quickly that our reward comes at that moment in time. But if we want things that are eternal, things that are going to last forever, things that, uh, that God will see in heaven, then those things need to be done from a pure heart and they need to be done by the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we get into chapter 4, Paul is trying to get past and he's going to just kind of t- spend this last chapter, chapter 4, as really finishing off talking about the, the, the attitudes that were in these Corinthians. Because by the time we get to chapter 5 and 6 and 7, it gets a little um, fun, so to speak. It gets a little more PG-13 at that point. So um, if ever uh, we get to chapter 5, um, we'll just tell you to send the kids to the back a little probably uh, so they're not sitting in here. But anyways, but he's, gonna be, he's still talking about motives right now. And, then, and so what Paul's going to do, he's going to put himself on display in this chapter. He's going to let us take a good look at who he is. And it's funny to me because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always odd to me. I don't know if, if anybody likes reading. I like to read usually the first four or five chapters of a book. <laughs> By then I move on to the next book. But uh, I like to read biographical stuff right? I like to read about people. I'm not a big fiction guy. Fiction's difficult for me. I'll do fiction with movies, but to read, I like reading biographies and, and autobiographies. It's always funny to see what, what a history book or a biography would say about someone and then what that person would say about themselves, right? And we have all these character studies throughout the Word of God. And besides Jesus, there's some really good character. Not that Jesus isn't a good character study. That's, a, that's an all-your-life kind of study. But you could do these character studies of different guys. I think of Joseph or Moses or Samson or David or Elijah. You get into the New Testament. You look at guys like John the Baptist and then Peter. But, but there's one guy to me, and I think to you also, that stands so far apart from everyone else in the New Testament, and that would be the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? To me, he just far and away is beyond everybody else. He, he is, if you just, we're just going to look at his life, he's the last apostle, right? He's the last in that line that there was 12 minus one because of Judas. They added another one, but then Paul was the one added kind of out of season, as it were. And, and, and this guy turns out to be really the best. Half the New Testament, more than it comes from him. And, and he's this incredible mind. He's, a, he's an incredible writer, isn't he? As you read his books, it's like the dude's a lawyer, man. And he, he, he will break down a point. If you just read Romans, and he's just setting you up and setting you up and setting you up for the first three chapters. And he's like, and there's my point. And then I'm going to keep building. Then I'll make another point, you know. And then you get to chapter 8 and it's just this huge, amazing chapter. And I just look at the Apostle Paul and I'm blown away by the guy's intellect and by the mind that he had that was surrendered to God. Now, we can't completely verify this stuff, but some history would say that... Um, that one of the, the higher rabbis in that day, a guy named Gamaliel, said that he didn't have enough books to keep Paul busy when Paul was a Pharisee. That's the kind of mind this guy, he didn't just read the first four chapters. 
He was a reader, man, and just an incredible mind. But then we see in his life, as he surrendered to the Lord, what he did. He, he went, he, there's maps in the back that are devoted just to him and his missionary journeys, that the guy was a killer missionary. He took the word of God and he didn't just hold on to it and stay in one place. He went places and did it. He went and he planted churches. Then he go, okay, I've been here for 18 months. Let's go here. I'll stay here three Sabbaths. Then I'll go over here. I'll stay here a couple of years. Then I'll go to this place. And then they get back and he goes, let's go visit those guys again. Let's go encourage them. And then, and then, and then he keeps going further and further until finally uh, on really his, his last voyage to Rome on his way to his death, he's still doing missionary work the whole way there. And so he's a killer missionary. We see the miracles that this guy has done that he's preaching a sermon. You guys might remember the story. They're on the second story there, and there's a guy sleeping. He puts a guy to sleep with his preaching, so that's nothing new. But the guy falls out the window and dies. And what does Paul do? He goes out there and he raises him to life. Well, he kind of owes it to him. He put the guy to sleep. But he raises guys from the dead. If you look in Acts chapter 19, even Paul's handkerchiefs, were used to heal people. This is a pretty phenomenal guy, isn't it? If you read just beyond that handkerchief story, you'll see that, that Paul was a man who was known in hell. What do I mean by that? There's these guys trying to cast out demons and they go, hey, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, you, we're going to cast you out. And the demon talks back and he goes, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. And, and if you just pause there for a second, isn't that pretty radical? that the demons knew who Paul was. And I imagine there was much rejoicing on the day that Paul finally went home to be with the Lord, that the enemies of God and the demons were going, finally, finally we can make some headway again. Because this guy was known in hell. And so you know the story. He goes, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. And these guys end up having to flee naked from this demon. Pretty scary stuff. So Paul, and then he's tough as nails, man. If you go to 2 Corinthians, and then this is all by way of introduction. We're going to get to the text right now. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 through 28, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of the water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. What kind of man? He lived enough for, for probably more than everyone in this room, myself included, could, could deal with for a whole lifetime. And what would possess a man to do that kind of stuff? We look at Paul from that angle and go, this guy's a stud. This guy's got it all. And what does Paul say as he starts this letter to the Corinthians, or it starts this chapter of the Corinthians, chapter 4? I've titled today's message, you might not have it on your bulletin because 
We didn't know if Pastor Zeke would be here or not. But the title of today's message is Servants and Stewards. Servants and Stewards. And we're going to talk about that. So let's read this chapter and then we'll get back and talk about it. He says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, and that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men." Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love, and in a spirit of gentleness. It's very corrective, isn't it? We start to look at Paul again. All the things we said about Paul, how we would see him as this incredible mind, a missionary, all the miracles and how tough he was. And he says, let me tell you who I am. I am an amazing missionary. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, let a man so consider us as what? As servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. The first thing he says that he identifies himself as as is as a servant. 
Now, the word here used, the Greek word, and I'm going to say it with an English pronunciation because I'm not Greek, it's hyperitas, H-Y-P-E-R-E-T-A-S. So I think that's how you say it. It's not the common word that's used more often, the word doulos. The hyperitas is a subordinate servant functioning, though, as a free man. Really, it's this word under rower. So you think of this big ship where these guys would be underneath and all these guys are in that room rowing that big old boat and all the to-do people are up here, you know. There's these guys on the bottom that are just rowing and they're taking the ship where it's going to go. It's not the most lowly thing in life, but it's certainly not prestigious. And this is a guy who's under direction and not a guy to be asking questions or offering input. Okay, And that's how he identifies himself. He goes, I'm just this under rower. I'm helping this ship to get where it's supposed to go. And the, the guy who's, uh, what do you call it? The captain? The captain is going to take this thing where it goes. But that's not his job. His job is to just row. And so often that's uh, something we, most of us would go, well, I don't want to be on the bottom of the boat. I want to be on the top of the boat. I want to get the view. I want to go stand out in front, you know, and, and let the wind hit my face, not be in that sweaty area, you know, down at the bottom, all chained up to this oar. That's where Paul identifies himself, and he says that he is a servant of who? Of Christ. It was Jesus who died for his sins. It was Jesus who rose again for his hope and his justification. And so it was Jesus that he's serving. And so uh, as much as um, we love to think of Jesus as a friend of sinners, right? You see, I don't know if you've seen that shirt. I've seen the shirt. It says, Jesus is my homeboy. Um, Jesus is a friend of sinners, but, but first he's Lord and he's master. He's God and he's holy. And so we need to, obviously, we need to come under that first. And we need to be servants of God. And what a privilege it is to be a servant of God, isn't it? To be on His side, to be working towards His goal, be on His mission. It's a great privilege in this life to do that. I I love the fact that when you think of like these sports teams, um, any sports team that wins a championship, they have their superstars and they have the coaches and the, you know, the main guys. But what I love is that the guy who maybe never even got into the game, but he was on the team, he gets a ring just like anybody else when they win, right? Isn't that cool? In baseball, there's 25 men on a roster. But throughout the year, that roster's changing between 40 guys. And, and between those 40 guys, 25 are on that team. At the end of the year, all those guys are getting a ring because they were part of it. And that's the cool thing about being a servant of God. Even though you're an under rower, say you're rowing that boat to, I don't know, somewhere real nice. There's going to be a time you get to that place that's real nice. You're not there in charge though. And we always have to remember this, guys, because it's in us. It's always in us to say, but I want to be in charge. But, but I want to go up to the deck up top and I, I want to be up on that, in that spot. And Paul goes, no, no, you guys, this is what keeps me going is I am chained to this oar. I, I'm, I'm just a rower in this thing. And when you get that view of yourself, 
It's kind of like this. Once you accept the lowest role of a servant, there's really nothing that anyone can do to you, right? It's kind of like at the 4th of July picnic stuff, you know, you, you get in the water gun fight and everyone's like, you know, uh, like hiding. If you just get the bucket of water and dump it on yourself to start, no one can get you, Right? You just surrender all of it right there. Okay, I'm all wet. You can't hurt me anymore. So now I'm just going to run around, shoot me. I don't care. I'm already wet. And now I could get everybody. And the same's kind of true when we serve the Lord. When we stop trying to preserve our life, stop trying to save our life, and we just go, you know what? I'm as low as I could go. All I'm going to do is serve. Well, what if they treat you like a servant? Great, that's what I am. What if they treat you nice? Good, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it. And so when we could get down to that place and get to a place where we could say, Jesus, whatever you tell me, I will do. There's nothing I won't do for you. There's not a place where I won't go for you. And that's Paul, isn't it? That we see the killer missionary. We see the killer writings. We see the amazing healing. We, We see all the... The stuff he endured, didn't he endure a lot? To think of getting 40 stripes minus one once would be a lot. He said he did that five times. Most of us, when we're going through a trial, are like, God, stop this now. Paul's the kind of guy, he gets thrown into prison. He's in the center of the prison. He's already been mistreated. And what, it, what are they doing there in the prison? Is they're singing hymns to the Lord. How do you do that? Because at, at no point does Paul go, I don't deserve this. No, he knew it. He goes, I'm a servant of God. That's all I am. And as a servant of God, I just go and do what the master tells me to do. One of my favorite verses on servanthood, you could turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And I think I lost it. I thought I had it like big circle. Because I didn't write it down. I just thought of it right now. Oh man, the one on serving. Okay, we'll sum it up right here. It's not in chapter 18. I think it's in 17, but who knows. Oh yes, it is in 17. It's not underlined, that's why. Okay, verse 7. Chapter 17, verse 7. It says, which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once, sit down to eat. Will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk and afterward then you will eat and drink. Then does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded him? I think not, he says. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. That's servanthood, guys. That's the heart of a servant. Yeah, last week we talked about what a servant does. This is the heart of it, though. Is that you would say, he's talking about this guy, he's working in the field all day, and the master goes, okay, come in from the field. Oh, good, I get to come in from the field. Oh, gird yourself, get ready, serve me dinner. And after I've eaten dinner, then you could eat dinner. 
He says, and then after, does he say, does he thank the servant? He goes, I think not. And what does the servant say? He says, when you've done all this, say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I just did what was my duty to do. And that is the driving force behind Paul's ministry. It was a love for Christ that constrained him to say, you are my God, you are my Lord, you tell me where to go and I will go and do that thing. And we need more of that in our own lives, don't we? Because we could be tempted at times to go, well, I'm going to check out, I'm burnt out, I don't want to keep going. You don't think Paul felt something like burnout? Right? He says, I'm in prison more than anybody else. Any of the other ones, I'm, more, I'm in prison there more often. I don't, I don't sleep at night. What's really funny is in that, that 2 Corinthians account that we read, he said that there were times that he went hungry and times that he was naked. When he writes in Tim, to Timothy, he says, and with food and clothing, with these, be content. Because there were times that Paul didn't even have that. What kind of life is that? It's a life that says, God, I'm just going where you say. And I'm just a servant. I'm nothing more. And we need more of this in our lives, guys. The next thing he says is that he was a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward is a manager of a, of a household. He's a slave to the master, but in relation to the other slaves, he's a master to them. He's in charge of managing and dispensing resources. Right? You have a really rich guy. He didn't have time to take care of all his stuff, so he has a steward. And the steward takes care of all his stuff. The steward says, okay, that, those bills need to be paid. They're paid. Oh, these servants need to go work over here. Hey, servants, go work over here. This guy, you go here. You go there. He was in charge of reconciling accounts. Say the guy had some kind of business. Hey, what do you owe my master? Okay, pay up to my master. And you could do that. And if you want to look at a bad steward, you can look at Luke 16. But he says that, Paul says they're stewards of the mysteries of God. That his job was to manage or preserve or protect the truth of God. It was to dispense or to distribute the word of God. And he says that the measure, verse 2, moreover it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. I love that that's the measure. The measure isn't talent, guys. The measure isn't gifting. The measure of a steward is if the steward is faithful in what he's been committed to do. And so again, we talked about it last week. We don't need to be comparing ourselves one to another. What we need to do is compare ourselves to what God has asked us to do. Now, most of us, God has not asked to live a life like Paul's, right? We're not called to be these full-time missionaries, go plant churches, but I'm not, in a group this size, there could be somebody who's got that calling on their lives. You know, maybe someone in this room has a gift to heal and your handkerchiefs can heal people. I don't know. But maybe God can use you in that way. But again, there, there comes a point where we'd say, but there, whatever it is that God would tell me to do, I want to do that thing and be faithful in that thing. And so the steward, the measure again is faithfulness. Paul's job was to be faithful and to preserve and protect and to distribute the word of God, the truth of God, knowing that one day it would be taken into account. And so I have to ask, starting out, our first question today in application would be, are we faithful servants and faithful stewards? Are we taking care 
of what God has taken, given us to care for. And in the context of what we're talking about, he's talking about the truth of God. Are we being good servants so as to represent our God well? Because here's the thing, guys. People watch our lives and they make judgments about our God by watching His servants in the way they behave. And rightfully so. Because most people don't know how to pick up a Bible and start reading it. And so they look at the servants of God and that's where they find out what God's all about. Second, are we being good stewards of what God has given, of His truth? Are we dispensing it or are we holding on to it? Are we just sitting back with it? Are we taking the truth and going with it? Or are we just kind of waiting around for someone to come and ask us about the truth that we have? There's serious questions, guys. Because I think what we would like to do is go have lives like Paul had. But we just want to go do those things and not realizing what made him those things, right? So stewards and servants. And then he's going to get into judgment here. He says in verse 3 through 5, but it's a small thing. It's a very small thing. That word can be translated. It is the smallest thing. It's a tiny, it's minuscule. It's so small. It's a small thing, a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me in the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, bring uh, both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, and then each one's praise will come from God. He says it's a small thing to be judged by you guys. Now that that can sound a little arrogant at first. We have to realize that Paul has already put himself under under kind of the most harsh judgment, and that's the Lord's. He's living as God's servant and his steward, right? So those are the rules he's living by. But, but here's the problem with the Corinthian church, and we talked about it when we started the book, that, that they really liked people. They really liked, it's like, oh, this guy, if you hear him speak, oh, have you heard to hear him speak? Go hear him speak. He can speak. He's an orator, you know. He holds your attention. He's captivating even, you know. And he says, I don't need to be judged by you guys because the Corinthians, if you read through First and Second Corinthians, these guys were jerks, man. In Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they, they say of him, you know, his letters are weighty, but, in, but in, in presence, he's weak. His speech is contemptible. They're like, all he does is just teach the truth but he doesn't like perform it. He, he, he just kind of looks lowly. He's not a good looking guy, you know. And so they had a problem with that. And so that's why Paul could say, I don't, I don't, your judgment, it's a small thing for me to be judged by you because you're judging off something that's not even right. Now, so that could get us to a point that, that we could go, oh, so should I say something like that? It's very popular in the church for people to say, hey, don't what? Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. 
Should we have this don't judge me or this I don't care mentality? Well, I, it's good to hear correction. It is good to take some judgment and then to take it to the Lord in prayer and say, God, to what degree is this true or not true? It's healthy. It's healthy to have people be willing to call us on things. It's good for people to be able to, even in a way, challenge us on things. Why do you want that? Why are you doing that? It seems like you're doing that for the wrong motives. Hey, we need to hear that. We're not above those things. We go to the Lord and we say, God, how much of this is true? How much of it is not true? And to the degree that it's true, uh, to that same degree, I want to work on those things. And I want to fix those things in my life. So I don't know that it's the best. Again, it's the Apostle Paul. He knew exactly what he was saying here. He also knew, have you ever heard that phrase, consider the source that it's coming from, you know? There's some people who just complain for the sake of complaining. There's some people who judge just for the sake of judging. And they judge past what they should be judging. And we're going to get into it because he really talks about it once he gets to verse 7. But it's because the judgment that they were judging him by were things that were beyond the word of God. It was preference stuff they were judging him on, not on substance. And so we have to be really careful on the way that we judge and also on the way we receive judgment. In verse 3, the second part of it, he says, In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, but I'm not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. Here's the problem with our judgment of ourselves. We don't know ourselves well. Many times in the scriptures, the Bible warns us against self-deception, doesn't it? Hey, don't be deceiving yourself, man. Don't be thinking you're okay when you're not okay. We could go way too easy on ourselves sometimes, can't we? And, and I've, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others where we'll go and we'll go serve the Lord and we'll do it with just half a heart. Well, I was tired and I, I worked long this week and, you know, people would understand. I go, and I've had to tell myself, you're being too easy on yourself. There was a lot more in the tank. Right? I've had to tell people that at times. I, I, I've... I remember, you know, even just in running youth ministry, delegating things to people and they come and they, they give you scraps. This last summer, I took a group of kids to Canada and we were on a missions trip and we were serving. At the end of the day, I had to sit them down and say, that was embarrassing to offer to the Lord as an offering. And these kids were like, and I said, was there more in the tank? And every one of them to a man would say, yep, I mailed it in this time. And we could be too easy on ourselves. And go, oh, God's just forgiving. He's so gracious and so it's cool. No, I think there's times that we're too easy on ourselves. And in the same way, there's times we're too hard on ourselves, isn't there? There's times when we, when we do something, we go, bam, but everyone should have gotten saved, man. Maybe I let, I let him down. I let the Lord down. And we walk around, I let the Lord down. I didn't do enough. I could have done more. Man. And I think there's times like, no, I don't think you could have done any more. You were faithful to do what God asked you to do, so you just keep doing that thing. 
And we could be hard on ourselves. I've seen it a, a ton with musicians, and it's like, man, but I didn't, I didn't hit that note right, man. I just, I feel so badly that I didn't. It's like, hey, it's cool, man. God knows you're not perfect, but you're trying. Your heart's in the right place. You're doing the right thing. I've seen people who have planned outreaches, and their hearts were so genuine, and they were doing the right thing, and no one shows up, and no one gets saved. Or maybe two people show up, and no one gets saved. And they just go, man, what a failure. It's like, hey, don't beat yourself up. Again, the measure was just faithfulness. And so we could be hard on ourselves. We can go too easy on ourselves. Here's what we need to do. Do your absolute best and commit that to the Lord. Do your absolute best and commit it to the Lord. I used to work for a guy in construction, and he was a tough guy to work for because he would say, uh, if you said, hey, is this good enough? He said, if you need to ask me if it's good enough, I think you could do it better. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I suppose you're right. That if you're saying, is this passable? He goes, I don't want passable. I want excellence on this crew. I didn't work for him for a, whole, for a really long time, but he would talk to guys that way. And the guys that worked for him learned, I better give it everything I've got. And in the same way, I think we, we should look at the Lord that way and say, Lord, I've given it everything. I've given it all I can give it. But he says, I, don't, I can't even judge myself because Paul knows I can go easy on myself. I can go too hard on myself. He says, I know nothing against myself. The second part of, of verse 4, it says, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and he'll also reveal the counsels of the heart and then each one's praise will come from him. When he says judge nothing before the time, it, it's this idea of, of, of athletics that are going on. And in most athletics, there's a time for them, right? You, you can't judge a football game after the first quarter. Well, sometimes it looks like you can. But, but you, know, you know, I think of in baseball, you know, the first 60 games, it's like everyone's going to win 60 and lose 60. It's what you do with the other ones, you know? Maybe it's win 40 and lose 40, but whatever it is. I mean, there's... there's Every year, I'm a Dodger fan, every year, everyone's just like, oh, we're the worst team in April. Oh, we don't, it's like, it's April. We still have to play in May, June, July, August, and September. There's a lot of time to make up what you miss out in April. And, and I think there's times that we can judge things before their time. And what I want to encourage us in, even as judges, because we are that in, uh, in a lot of ways, don't judge anything before it's time. One of the wisest things I heard a pastor say, a guy from Monrovia, he says, hey, give God's, give God's word time to do its work in the life of a person. Right? You have a friend, they just come to Christ and you just start loading them down with all these burdens. Man, you should be doing this, 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 this. It's like, whoa. Give God's word some time to work, man. Let God have a crack at it. <laughs> He knows how to sway hearts and he knows how to change minds. So he says, man, don't, uh, don't judge it before it's time. There's a lot of time with some of these things. You can't, you can't end the game before it's over. So, so he says, don't judge it before it's time until the Lord comes. That's, that's when he will bring to light the things, the hidden things, the secret things. Now, now again, about judgment, because we could have this habit 
of saying things like, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me at all. You know? But if you get a few chapters in, actually it's next chapter, Paul gives permission to Christians to judge their fellow Christians, not motives, but to judge actions. And that's okay. But this judgment thing, and we have to really kind of clarify what we mean when we say judgment, because I, I think there's this danger in the church that it's like, no, no, we can't judge anybody. We can't judge anything. Only God can judge. There's going to be a day when all things are judged in heaven, but, and, and I kind of think of it like this test that's going to be happening. What we have here in God's Word is the owner's manual and the study guide for that test. All the answers are here on what we live by. And so it's not a bad thing that if someone says, hey, I think two and two makes three, you could say, no. Um, This math book says it makes four. So that's what that means, right? You're making a judgment on that right there. And so here's what I'm saying by this is that the word of God is the first judge that we can use. And what a privilege it is to have the Word of God, isn't it? To know what God is judging by. We don't just like, and it's really funny when I talk to people about Christianity, when I talk to people about the afterlife and they go, well, you know, we really don't know. I go, we do know what to, I go, what kind of life is that to live and just go, well, I'll just kind of go aimless about it. And then I'll just, you know, one day, and don't judge me. Only God can judge me. It's like, you don't want that judgment. Nobody wants that judgment. The judgment we want is that if we would align ourselves with what the Word of God says and we live our lives that way, that w- then, then we get to heaven, then the judgment's pretty easy. I told somebody one time, you know, it's like knowing there's a math test coming and they don't tell you what's on the test. I'm going to study the most difficult math I can to prepare for that test. I'm not just going to hope it's basic addition, Right? And so we align ourselves with the Word of God, which is the highest moral code you're going to find anywhere. And you live your life by that. So that day when you get before the judge, you know the judgment. But what Paul is saying in all of this is he's saying, so what I'm doing here is I'm going to save that judgment for God because you guys are judging me beyond the Word of God. You are judging me on things that the Word of God does not call me out on. And so I will reserve that judgment for God. I will not change it for you right now. Again, because they're saying, you're weak. Be stronger in our presence. All you do is talk about Christ crucified, but give us some philosophy. He goes, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm here to give. And so he says that that I'll save that for the Lord. Now, I'm looking at the clock right now. And I doubt we'll finish the whole chapter, but we're going to go just a little bit more. I know they say no one blames a preacher for ending early, but it's kind of a lot early, I think. Verse 6, he says, These things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one uh, against another for for who makes you differ from one another or or and on what do you have that you did not receive now if you did indeed receive it why do you boast as if you hadn't received it we pause right there because paul's saying look here's what we're doing 
We don't want you to think beyond what is written. Again, the Word of God as the base point for what the judgment happens on. He says, think biblically, guys. Keep your thoughts in line with the Word of God. I I do believe we are in a tough time as a church, as the church in general. Because I believe now in these days the church is being judged uh, against a lot of worldly standards that it not only cannot measure up to, but should not measure up to. And I, I remember hearing of a church, and I won't mention the name of the church, but the pastor of that church said, you know, as I'm starting this church, I want to just think of what is the type of church I would want to go to, and I'll make a church based on that. Go, buddy, you're getting in some dangerous water there. Because if you lower the standard of what the church should be by what the world thinks it should be, because the world has set its stance, hasn't it? They're not compromising. They're not going to become like Christians. So they go to the church and say, you become more like us. And I think it's dangerous because, and again, Paul has to warn this church. So this isn't new what we're going through. But it's pretty pronounced these days, I think. And we see it in a lot of ways. We see it in, 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 in production value, you know? What's the kind of production like in your church? What's the lighting like in your church? I'm not against lighting. I'm not against production, right? There are some people that are super gifted artists, and I've, I've been at some places where I'm like, hey, that's really cool. That's really cool that during worship, you have the lights kind of changing and doing some cooler things, but I'm... <laughs> that's extra, man. I'm a little, maybe I'm a little old school that way. I remember we, we, hosted, we helped host a conference and um, there was this fog machine and I'm going, so in the debrief meeting, I go, what, what's, the, um, what's the deal with the fog? <laughs> I don't get it. I, I just don't, I don't see how I need fog to worship Jesus. And and, but check it out. These guys said, you know what? Here at this church, and it's a really big church, they go, we've got people who are gifted in all these areas. We have gifted teachers of the word of God. And all the places that we need for teaching, they're covered. We have, we have needs for worship ministry, and we have tons of gifted musicians who do that. We have children's ministry, and it's full. There's people waiting to serve in children's ministry. And so he says, and so we have people who are artistic. Every other gift is covered. We want them to be able to serve the Lord with their artistic ability. I said, okay, hooray and amen. I could get on board with that. And they said, the job of the fog is just to fill the room at the beginning, and then you can see the light cutting through the fog. I go, okay, all right. Then I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll concede there. But when a church is judged on the basis of whether they have enough fog or too much fog or, or if the different color lights are hitting that fog the right way, there's a problem, I think. Because then they're going, well, you know, we're not doing what we should as a church because we're not cutting edge that way. Right? Or, or the church is judged on the worship leader. Right? The church is judged because it's like, well, they don't sound like Hillsong United. Well, Hillsong United's pretty big, pretty talented, right? They're all professionals. Most churches, we have people volunteering. 
And I heard recently of a church up in Oregon that their worship team had gotten so good that the worship leader says, we got to break this thing up. Because now people in the church are going, oh, no, 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 there's no way I can serve the Lord there. And they'll serve anywhere else, but they won't even go near worship ministry because that's what the professionals do. And he goes, no, 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 this, is, this has gotten out of hand for us now. We catered to that maybe a little too much. Otherworldly standards, not just the music and the lighting and production, but it's like, well, what kind of activity center do the kids have? What kind of games do they play in the youth ministry? What kind of this or what kind of that? And all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second. I, I, you know, when you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus that tell you what the church should look like, and 1 Timothy is phenomenal for the, the, the theme of its church order, what the church should behave like. You'll see all through that book, doctrine. That's what the church is supposed to be giving, doctrine. The church is supposed to be about the things of God and nothing is supposed to compete with Jesus for attention. And he even in 1 Timothy says, this is the role of men in the church. This is the role of women in the church. This is the role of older men, young or older women. This is how the church ought to behave. And all through it, it's doctrine. All through it, it's prayer. All through it, it's teaching of the scriptures. And even that is a thing that in today's current church, people are judged by. Well, how's the preacher? What's he like? Is he old? Is he too young? And, and then it gets even to the, like, well, because now the popular thing is like the handheld. Does he use a handheld? A wireless handheld? Is that how he gets down? Because that's the cool way of doing it. How's his Instagram account? Is it good? Is he good on social media? If he's not, he's not trying to connect. And You know, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, you can just note it because we're, we're going to land this plane soon. But... But in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it says they took out the book, they read distinctly from the law of the Lord, and then what did they do? They gave the sense. Teaching the Bible is this. It's taking God's word, explaining what it means, and how that applies to our life. It doesn't need to have a song and dance to go with it. I'm thankful I don't have a song or dance to go with it. I'm thankful, honestly, I'm thankful for Calvary Chapel that way. That this old bald man would get up, and he certainly wasn't cool looking. And he would get up with his turtleneck when no one else wore that stuff, you know. And he would just walk through the Word of God. And so, so other guys like me could come along and go, okay, I, I, I know how to open the Bible. I know how to read the Bible. I know how to explain what it means. But I'm not some dynamic preacher. I'm not some like super cool whatever hip thing, whatever, you know? I don't have time for that. I wasn't cool in high school. I'm not cool now. But, but what is teaching the, 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 the church just needs to be about teaching the Word of God and getting that into the hearts and lives of people because that's where change happens. Activity centers will come and go, guys. Fashion comes and goes. Lighting and production changes every minute, right? And so he's saying, he says, you know, just just think biblically is what he's trying to get these guys to do. 
Would you just think biblically about what we're supposed to be doing? And so Paul would say, you just look at the scriptures and you tell me what an apostle should be doing. If I'm not going to go stand in an amphitheater and, and be this orator, that's okay by God. And so that's who we are. Is, is we are here, guys, to just do what God would have us to do. And it's so that none of you, the end of verse 6, so that none of you may become puffed up on behalf of one against another. We're not competing here. It's not this idea of, well, like, well, so-and-so leads worship better than so-and-so. Or this guy's a better preacher than that guy. Because he does it this way and that way. No, 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 no. That's not what we're judged by, guys. I'm so grateful. You know, I came, I came from a church that there was a lot of gifts there, man. There was a lot of stuff. And I'm so grateful I, I didn't have to be compared to other people. We shouldn't have to compare ourselves to other people that way. Because if we'll just think of what the Bible says, what does the Bible say someone with the gift of help should behave like? All right, let's then just judge them according to that. But if they're not doing it cool, they're not doing it hip, no big deal. Guys, let's not let our thinking become worldly in that way as it comes to the things of God. And let us not, let us not judge that way, right? Let us not judge that way. Let us, let us line ourselves up with what the Word of God says and let's make judgments based on that. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. God, what an honor it is to know you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make us servants. Lord, that we would be stewards. That we would do only what you ask us to do. Lord, we don't want to be any more. We don't want to be anything less. Lord, we don't want to be anything else just yours. So go before us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.